0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Love Speaks for Monday, October 2nd, 2023. Happy October, it's hard to believe uh, that it's already here. Yesterday, October 1st, was of course the beginning of the month, which is the month of the Holy Rosary, so remember to kind of cultivate or recultivate um, that devotion to uh, Our Lady through the Rosary this month. The Rosary is a very powerful prayer described by so many saints and mystics as a true a weapon against the evil one and a really great way to combat the power uh, that temptation and sin have over us, especially in the moment. Maybe not praying a whole rosary, but certainly calling on Our Lady. One very kind of powerful moment that I had last time I was in Lords was just a moment in prayer there with Our Lady who really assured me that in those moments of temptation and trial, if I call on her, she will be there to help me. And that has been true for me in my life so just encourage you to use this month of october again to cultivate maybe for the first time or recultivate something that maybe has been lost Um, one great way to do that would be to uh, subscribe on instagram and youtube to the channel many hail marys at a time They're a group that has prayed the rosary together with thousands of others around uh, the world Um, since, really, I think even from before COVID, but it got really big during COVID. They do a live stream rosary every morning at, um, it's 7.45 Eastern time, 6.45 Central time. And you can find that on Instagram and YouTube, and I will um, put a link to that down below in the show notes for today. If you've been listening to the podcast during this semester, you know that I am on a little sabbatical right now in Washington, D.C., and I've been using this podcast as a way to do more of a long-form discussion of the Sunday readings and uh, in place of the homily that I'm not giving because I'm out of the parish for the semester. Um, But today, I want to do something different. Yesterday, October 1st, was the feast day of St. Therese of Lisieux. And St. Therese is one of my all-time favorite saints, and I know that she's beloved by many of you who listen to this podcast. Um, she's been described uh, by many. Pope Pius X famously called her the greatest saint of modern times, which is beautiful um, and intriguing, um, especially because he called her that, Pope Pius X called her that before she was even beatified um, or canonized, Pius X um of course, lived before Pius XI, and Pius XI is the one who both beatified and canonized her, but she, um, so she dies in in 1897 at the age of 24, and she died on September 30th. Normally, saints' feast days are the day that they die, um, unless something else major happens to them, but September 30th was always the feast day of Saint Jerome, so her feast day is October 1st, she was born uh, in a town in northern France called Alençon in January, January 2nd, 1873. And she dies in the Carmel in Lesieux in September of 1897 at the age of 24. And she dies from tuberculosis, which was really a scourge um, on her life. She was born um, in um, a, a kind of troubled state of health She was never really healthy her whole life. She was born very frail um, and lived that way. And so she was really afflicted by um, a lot of sickness throughout her life. And so, of course, it wasn't surprising that she would really be susceptible to something like tuberculosis, especially um, in the kind of sparse conditions that she was living in that she adopted really for herself um, when she was living in the Carmel. Now, she was only 24 when she died, but she'd already been living in the monastery, in the Carmelite monastery, for several years. She wanted to enter um, when she was very young, 14 or 15 years old. And um, they told her, no, you're too young. And she was feisty. I think this is one reason why so many people love her. She was so feisty. And so she went with her dad to Rome, and this was at a time when that was sort of easy, and she met with the Pope. She met with the Pope, and she said, this monastery won't let me in, and I want to go there. So let me go. <laughs> you need to tell them you're the pope, and you need to tell them uh, that they need to let me in. And the pope said, "Like what? Uh, who are you?" Anyway, the pope looked at her, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, and said, "Well, you will do what the superiors decide, and if it's God's will, you will enter." And then she was so unsatisfied with that answer that she just clung to his feet and the guards had to carry her out of the room. But after their pilgrimage, she went back and she eventually entered uh, the convent at Saint, uh, in Lesieux, And that's where she lived and where she died. Uh, many of her family members were familiar with that place. Um, both her sisters, Pauline and Saline, were sisters at the same Carmelite convent in Lisieux, and her other sister, Leonie, was a Visitine sister, a visitadine sister in Cayenne, um, and uh, little, little Therese, and Marie, I think, yeah, Marie, of course, sorry, her older sister, Marie, was a Carmelite in Lisieux as well. Okay, um, so we know a lot of things about St. Therese, she's known in popular piety for her little way, um, which she lays out in her very popular spiritual autobiography called Story of a Soul. Story of a Soul, not to be confused with Journal of a Soul, which is uh, Pope John XXIII's autobiography. But Story of a Soul records um, Therese's innermost thoughts. It's her spiritual diary, her spiritual account um, of her own kind of growth in her life. And especially details the way that she views the Lord and the way that she not just relates with him, but, but why she relates with him the way that she does. And she relates with him as someone who is both all-powerful, of course he's God, he's all-knowing, he's just, but she relates with him as someone who is infinite in his mercy, infinite in his kindness, infinite in his compassion toward her, and as somebody who is reaching out to her in love. One of her very famous images is the elevator image. You know, um, she belonged to the Carmelite tradition. She's a doctor of the church in the Carmelite tradition. And she is in the same tradition as other doctors of the church, like John of the Cross and, and Teresa of Avila. And, you know, those two, especially John of the Cross, um, they're writing about the dark night and the ascent of Mount Carmel. And, and Therese, in Story of a Soul, she essentially says, you guys can have your arduous mountain if you want. Um, but I know that I don't need to climb some arduous mountain because the father is going to lift me up. He's going to be an Jesus is my elevator to the father's house. And he's going to lift me on high to the father and like a good dad carrying me up the stairs. So I'm going to be carried into the house of the father. And the other image that she kind of uses also in contrast to the arduous mountain. Uh, Ascent of Mount Carmel is, she says, the good God waits for me in the fertile valley of humility. So I don't need to climb an arduous mountain, but rather the good God is waiting for me in in the fertile valley of humility. And obviously take this all with a grain of salt, right? Because those two images, yes, they're opposing images, mountaintops and valleys are opposing images, but they're talking about the same thing. And what Therese proposes is really difficult. What, per, what Therese is getting at is really a difficult way of life. Humility is a very, very difficult way to live. And anyone who's tried to be really kind of giving of themselves in that way is going to find that the fertile valley of humility is not just something that is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that overnight. No, um, she's trying to get at the same kind of heights of sanctity, the same... Um, yeah, greatness and pervasiveness of sanctity as her Carmelite sister and brother, uh, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross were, but she's doing it from a different perspective. And her perspective has become called the little way and the little way of love, the little way of love, that the way to become holy is, as Jesus said, um, not to stand out in the fanciest clothes, in the synagogues, in the streets, pounding your chest, publicly repenting, the greatest way to become holy is to do the little things with the greatest amount of love. And in that, you can hear um, the same encouragement as uh, someone like, I don't know, uh, Mother Teresa, for example, who said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. <laughs> go home and love your family. And interestingly, there's a whole kind of study, area of study called num- the numinous, Numenology, numinous, um, which is wonder and awe and beauty. But you can't appreciate those things unless you can begin to see things according to the little way. Um, which is to say, yeah, I, I, I well, let me give you this example. There was one time in the confessional that someone came and was ranting and raving to me about something that the cardinal in Mongolia said. and all, And they were really losing their inner peace over this. And I said, are you aware that you are among the first probably century and a half of human history that even knows there is a cardinal in Mongolia, much less what his name is or what he said? What are the issues at home? What are the issues in your life? What are the issues at your kitchen table? Uh, Deal with those first, right? Deal with those first. I took a visit to Arlington National Cemetery yesterday, and um, I saw on a little plaque, It said, he that ruleth himself is greater than he who taketh a city. He that ruleth himself is greater than he who taketh a city. So that interior work, to be sure that we can be interiorly free, even in the midst of all of the great difficulty of life, which will never go away, no matter how holy we are. In fact, um, Those of you who are particularly close to the Lord can attest that, yeah, there is a great amount of suffering and it feels almost like the suffering increases the closer that we get to Jesus. Um, Therese Therese of Avila said, you know, she, she had her community turn against her when she tried to reform it. She had great suffering and great difficulty. She says kind of sporadically, spontaneously, I should say, she says, if this is how you treat your friends, God then it's no wonder you have so few. (laughs) It's no wonder you have so few. So Therese is really a model for us, and she models this not just with her words and what she writes, but in the way that she lives her life. And that is really um, a, a, a way that the Christian testimony needs to be shared, that it's not that she wrote all this stuff and said, oh, now I, I wrote it, so I better live this way. It's that everything she wrote, everything she taught, everything she did um, was coming out of the pattern of her life that was already established in her. There's a lot of people who say, oh, the church rewards people with canonization when they do something great, almost like it's like a yeah a gold ribbon or a blue ribbon or gold star or something. Um, And, you know, I once heard a priest say, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is not a saint because he wrote the Summa Theologica, but St. Thomas Aquinas wrote the Summa Theologica because he was a saint. And I think that is the crucial distinction. Therese did not um, become a saint because she wrote about this thing called the Little Way. She wrote about this little thing called the Little Way because she was a saint, and she really wanted um, to live a kind of martyrdom for the Lord, giving him every single thing that she could, um, including her own life, you know, laying down her own earthly life in her struggle with tuberculosis, which she did with great dignity, um, even in the midst of of just so much difficulty. So, um, I think a lot of that is pretty widely known, I would say, but I think Something that's interesting that we can combine now, especially in this day and age, is a look at Saint therese in terms of for, maybe through the lens of mental health. Um, why? Well, first of all, let me say that we're not gonna you can't do this anachronistically, right? You can't say, oh well, she for sure was depressed or she for sure had this and you can tell because of this x, y, and Z, right? You don't want you don't want to apply our words, and our way of understanding things. Um, or you don't want to do it in a way that removes the spiritual components altogether. But you also, I think, can, we find a lot of of similarity with St. Therese. And that's why so many people actually relate with her, is because she writes about things in a way that, that you say, wait a minute, she's describing a situation of profound anxiety. Um, and I have that too. She is describing something like separation anxiety, right? Her, um, her, she has so many losses, several loved ones die, they, they leave her kind of, um, in these, these dire emotional straits. Um, she, expresses kind of what we today would call scrupulosity, a sort of pathological preoccupation with sin in her daily behavior, which is a miracle, really, that she could come to an understanding of God as a merciful God. But you can see through that experience of that pathological preoccupation with sin, oh my gosh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Is God mad? Is God mad? Is God mad? That's scrupulosity. Um, You can see that actually her arrival at the understanding of God as totally merciful is really not just a victory for us, right? Oh yeah, she finally got the Christian thing. No, that was a profound psychological movement in her own life, a healing, an internal healing, which comes about by grace, but also by a lot of suffering in her own life. Um, There's also a lot of different things, you know, she writes in her diary about becoming really upset at at the kind of Um, change, the slightest change in daily routine, or people moving things around, or people kind of being dirty, or whatever, and you could see in there some echoes of obsessive compulsive disorder, perhaps. There's a really wonderful book by a Carmelite, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, but the Carmelite, his name is Mark Foley, M-A-R-C, Foley, F-O-L-E-Y, and the book is called The Love That Keeps Us Sane. The Love That Keeps Us Sane. It's a really short book, maybe 100 pages or so. But it's a beautiful, beautiful look. Mark Foley is also um, a clinical psychologist, and he really is just so reverent with St. Therese. He doesn't diagnose her. He doesn't do anything like that. He's so respectful of her and of of all of us who experience some kind of mental anguish. But she is somebody who is really a great teacher for us in our times about... um, the intersection between spirituality and psychology and, in fact, looking at the Christian proposal in terms of a relationship with God, the reality of prayer, the reality of the sacraments as um, not the end-all, be-all remedy for things, you know, for real psychological difficulty, but that um, a union with God is something that can lift us up out of the very darkest darkest places um, and furthermore that perhaps a relationship with god requires this kind of deep suffering i'm not saying a relationship with god requires mental illness that's not what i'm saying but a relationship with god requires a deep internal from the depths of who we are kind of suffering that actually it was this great struggle and trial of her life that brought about uh, the greatest conversion in her. And that is an essential truth of every single (laughs) uh, conversion story that you have ever heard, that there's some great trial, some great difficulty that brings about the greatest conversion. And I think that that is something that Therese can really offer to us. There's an article which I'll also post in the uh, show notes. Um, it's from a publication called the Christian Century, and the tagline is thoughtful, independent, progressive. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know anything about the Christian Century. I'm not endorsing the Christian Century. So if you look around on there and you're like, I can't believe, like, don't, don't, just skip me with that email, please. But there's an, an article there from 10 years ago now called Teresa Sue and Mental Health, and um, I'm just going to read you part of it. Beneath these straits runs the le motif of her emotional life, separation. The devastating losses of several loved ones left her in dire emotional straits. After her sister Pauline entered the convent, Therese became violently ill. Several causes have been proposed, but it seems reasonable to believe that the pain of loss played a part in overwhelming such a sensitive soul. What can we learn from Therese's troubles? Our conventional wisdom on mental health might draw this conclusion that in spite of all her issues, she lived a way of spirituality that drew her toward union with God and the supreme importance of love above all. But what if it was because of all her issues? The broad arc of Therese's life keeps bringing me back to this possibility. Could her anxiety, far from hindering her spiritual development, actually have drawn her into the complete abandonment to God at the heart of her little way? Could her hypersensitivity have predisposed her to a mystical union with an intensity and commitment that have set an example for others? Could her scruples, which can be seen as an unhealthy negation of the self, have presaged her for healthy self-denial in service to others, a virtue she often displayed in nearly invisible ways? In short, could our weaknesses be the flip side of our strengths, the very traits that empower us to fulfill our potential as God's image bearers. I think that's beautiful. Could our weaknesses be the flip side of our strengths, the very traits that empower us to fulfill our potential as God's image bearers? It's interesting that if you listen to the testimonies of people who have been in a group like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, or another kind of addiction group, or those who have done psychological treatment, almost all of them will say, at at kind of nearing a place of great healing, they'll say, actually, it was alcoholism that was the greatest gift to me. And people will say, what? How can you say that? It caused so much suffering for you and for others. And they'll say, that's exactly the point. That's precisely the point. Because it was slamming headfirst into rock bottom that helped me to see exactly that the one, the only direction I could go was up, but it was this great gift because it woke me up from the stupor of my autopilot or from my sadness and grief and pain or whatever I was trying to medicate or mitigate with alcohol or with whatever, and opened me up to something greater than myself. And as I go, and this is this is scripture, right? As I go, as I find the thing that's greater than myself, as I lower myself to that, I'm actually exalted. The least are the greatest, and the greatest are the least. And I, I just think that that's so... Beautiful. And you're not going to find that kind of reflection in Saint Therese, right? That kind of vocabulary wasn't really part of 19th century French Catholicism. And in many ways, it's not really part of 2023 Catholicism, but that's, I guess, a different podcast altogether. Um, But if you read not just the writing of Saint Therese in The Story of a Soul, but what I really want to propose to you today is the poetry of Saint Therese. The poetry of St. Therese is so moving and gives such a beautiful glimpse into the state of her life, the state of her mind, and also um, the state of her heart. And she's someone who is able to say in the simplistic ways, but in flowery, beautiful ways, in ways that are not inaccessible, she's able to say uh, some of the deepest truths. and she does it with the greatest imagery as well. She has one poem. Minute, let me try to find it here. I, I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes too, which is a beautiful little book, which is published um, by the. Uh, uh, oh, well, let me get there. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, it's published by the Carmelites. Uh, the Institute of Carmelite Studies in Washington, D.C. And uh, they're also publishing, they did publish a lot of good translations of the other Carmelite masters' texts, um, a complete text of John of the Cross is really good from them. But um, they published a book of Therese's poetry called, appropriately, The Poetry of St. Therese of Lisieux. And their translation um, has not just the English, but also the French, and it also has really good English commentary with it. So if poetry interests you and St. Therese interests you, then I would suggest looking up The Poetry of St. Therese of Lisieux, published by the Institute of Carmelite Studies um, in Washington, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But she has a poem, for example, called My Desires Near Jesus, Hidden in His Prison of Love. And his prison of love she says is the tabernacle in the church and she writes this beautiful reflection a love poem almost um, to the various items used at mass that's fascinating to me uh, little key oh i envy you for each day you can open the prison of the eucharist where the god of love resides but oh what a sweet miracle by just an effort of my faith i can also open the tabernacle to hide near the divine king she has. She goes on and she writes about the little sanctuary lamp. Being consumed near my God in the sanctuary, I would like to burn forever with mystery like the lamp of the holy place. Oh, what happiness! I have flames within me, and each day I can win a great number of souls for Jesus, inflaming them with his love. It's beautiful. That's just creative. Okay, um, the poem, though, that I want to draw your attention to is... The Poem to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I'm going to link this separately um, in the show notes. So if you're watching or listening to this at home, um, pull it up. It's right there. Pull it up and um, read along with. It's kind of long, but I, I want to read it to you in its entirety. At the Holy Sepulchre, Mary Magdalene, searching for her Jesus, stooped down in tears. The angels wanted to console her sorrow, but nothing could calm her grief. Bright angels, it was not you whom this fervent soul came searching for. She wanted to see the Lord of the angels, to take him in her arms and to carry him far away. Close by the tomb, the last one to stay, she had come well before dawn. Her God also came, veiling his light. Mary could not vanquish him in love. Showing her at first his blessed face, Soon just one word sprang from his heart, whispering the sweet name of Mary. Jesus gave back her peace, her happiness. Oh, my God, one day, like Mary Magdalene, I wanted to see you and come close to you. I looked down over the immense plain where I sought the Master and King, and I cried, seeing the pure wave, the starry azure, the flower and the bird, Bright nature, if I do not see God, you are nothing to me but a vast tomb. I need a heart burning with tenderness, who will be my support forever, who loves everything in me, even my weakness, and who never leaves me day or night. I could find no creature who could always love me and never die. I must have a God who takes on my nature and becomes my brother and is able to suffer. You heard me, only friend whom I love. To ravish my heart, you became man. You shed your blood, what a supreme mystery, and you still live for me on the altar. If I cannot see the brilliance of your face or hear your sweet voice, O my God, I can live by your grace. I can rest on your sacred heart. O heart of Jesus, treasure of tenderness, you yourself are my happiness, my only hope. You who knew how to charm my tender youth, stay near me till the last night. Lord, to you alone I've given my life, and all my desires are well known to you. It's in your ever-infinite goodness that I want to lose myself, O heart of Jesus. Ah, I know well all our righteousness is worthless in your sight. To give value to my sacrifices, I want to cast them into your divine heart. You did not find your angels without blemish. In the midst of lightning, you gave your law. I hide myself in your sacred heart, Jesus. I do not fear, for my virtue is you. To be able to gaze on your glory, I know we have to pass through fire. So I, for my purgatory, choose your burning love, O heart of my God. On leaving this life, my exiled soul would like to make an act of pure love, And then flying away to heaven, it's homeland. Enter straight away into your heart. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. I hope that you can find this edifying as well, going back and reading it when you have some time. That beautiful image of purgatory that she gives us at the end. Purgatory, not a place of gratuitous suffering, but a place where we are wounded by love the great fire through which we must pass in order to contemplate God's glory. She wants to to experience that as swiftly as possible so that when she leaves this life, she can make an act of pure love um, and go right into the heart of Jesus. You notice so often in preaching or spiritual texts, there's a lot of us language, we, us, God loves us, God has come to save us, God is us, 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 us. we, 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 we. And that's fine. We experience this, and that's fine. You don't see that in this poem from Therese, and you're not going to find it in really any of her poems. You're going to find something that is so personal. I need a heart burning with tenderness who will be my support forever, who loves everything in me, even my weakness, and who never leaves me day or night. That's so important to understand Therese. Therese knows that she's got issues (laughs) because she's a human and and we all have issues. She knows that she's weak. She's weak physically. She knows that her temperament is is sometimes off-putting. She knows that her life has been difficult. She misses her parents. She misses her siblings. She knows that she's not perfect and that she is a burden to others as others are a burden to her. But she understands that there is one who loves all of this about her. And perhaps by giving that difficult part of herself over to him, she understands that she's more alive and not less. Who loves everything in me, even my weakness. Who could always love me and never die. I must have a God who takes on my nature, becomes my brother. You heard me, only friend whom I love. To ravish my heart, you became man. She understands something extremely deep and extremely important. To ravish my heart, you became man. It's as if to Jesus, no one else exists except for Therese. And that's how Jesus loves us. Yes, he comes to love all of us. And he loves all of us first by loving each of us and connecting with us and showing us his light, his truth in the midst of the most profound suffering that we can possibly um, imagine. And I think it's really important that we begin to make that shift in our own spiritual life to, yeah, we, we we have to have the communal sense. We are a pilgrim people. We do belong to each other. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do to me, right? We, we, we love God. We love our neighbor. We have to be a part of the wider body of Christ. Of course, of course. But this kind of deep conversion that Therese proposes through her life and the reason i think that she's so attractive to us is because she's able to come to this on such an internalized deep and individual level we say we we read her words we hear her, her witness and we say i want that i want that i want that but then the question comes back to us do you really <laughs> do you really you know the lord is going to look at us as as he looked at therese And as he looked at the rich young man in the scriptures and he's going to say, go sell everything that you have, sell everything that you have and follow after me. And we have the choice. Do we follow like Therese all the way to Rome to beg the Pope himself that he might change the mind of our superior in some little town in France that the Pope has probably never even heard of at that point? Or do we act like the rich young man and we go away sad? We go away sad. We make judgments about the Lord and his work, the goodness of the church, because of what the cardinal in Mongolia said in an interview to a news outlet reporting in a context that doesn't concern me and that I don't understand at all. (laughs) Do we run after him in that way as Therese did? Or do we just click on autopilot one more time and say, I'm going to keep doing this my own way, and we walk away sad? That's the proposal today that I want to just leave with you. And I think it's a really important one that each one of us has to consider, not just once, not just twice, but so many times throughout our lives. How do we answer the call? hes He still is asking us to become holy. He's still asking us to be um, part of his life to allow his mysteries to be relived once more through us but it requires this deep internal total conversion to him in a really beautiful and profound and individual way so anyway saint therese we just ask for your prayers today i hope that um the work of saint therese and the, the intercession of St. Therese is something that can be edifying for you in your life. Um, I found this prayer online <laughs> on littleflower.org, uh, which I'll also link in the show notes, a lot of show notes today. Um, but I want to read it to you because I think that it's a really fitting way for us to to kind of embrace the spirit of St. Therese and also um, uh, for us to, to say goodbye today. So, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, our brother, we need your healing touch. There are areas of our mind that are paralyzed or underdeveloped, that are plagued with fear, ignorance, and blindness, that are crippled in the darkness of poor self-images, that expect disaster and defeat. We have a narrow-mindedness that does not expand our vision or wisdom, Attitudes of self-reliance that do not let others touch or minister to us. We have a need to have the mental control of understanding which flees before mystery. A brain which does not balance information with the instincts of our hearts. We're so serious that we no longer laugh at ourselves. And there are areas within us that are not whole and do not balance our experience of all the events you send us. Heal us with peace amid the storms which rock our mental stability. Calm us to carry the crosses you send us, to refine and draw us closer to you. Heal us of our arrogant self-reliance so that we can be more dependent on your love and presence deep within and around us. We ask you this through the intercession of St. Therese, who teaches us confidence and trust in your love. Jesus, we trust in you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let me just leave you with that beautiful thought of St. Therese as she looked at all the difficulty and strife of her earthly life. She was able to say, Remember, the earth is your ship and not your home. So, through the intercession of St. Therese, may we make decisions today that lead us a little bit closer to the glory of that homeland. Amen. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.